can actually, uh, I, I know you guys are all having conversations. You can actually remain standing. If you could stand with me real quick, I'm going to, we are going to uh, start this morning uh, by reading God's word. Is that okay with everyone? I was going to do it anyways, so, uh, but I'm happy you're in for it. Um, the verses should be on the screen. And uh, we'll talk to him in just a second. It says Paul, uh, the pastor Paul, the apostle Paul, this guy planted churches all around the Mediterranean rim, persecuted Christians, and then one day became a Christian himself, a story like of miraculous God's grace. And he starts these churches and he writes these letters and um, he has an affection for them and he has a purpose for them. And this is actually the end of his letter. And at the end of his letter, he has this to say to the church. In Ephesus, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil one in the heavenly realms. He goes on to say, therefore, everyone say, therefore. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He concludes by saying this, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, a very interesting way uh, to start your, your last message. Some of you are like, man... Obviously, we're going real spiritual today, um, looking at the enemy and the devil. Spencer, what? And for those of you who don't know, my name's Spencer. Uh, I've been one of the pastors here. This happens to be, if you're just joining us, you're like, what's going on? Um, this happens to be my last message at the Movement Church. Um, my family and I, 10 years ago, uh, moved out to Oakland to help start this church and um, it's, a, it's a bittersweet day for us. And as I wrestled with what I might want to say on my last day, um, this theme kept coming. I was, like, I was like, man, I could, you know, obviously just, just preach the gospel, Christ and him crucified, and that'll obviously be in here. I could preach just the encouragement of just, hey, you know, love God. I could preach on the importance of, of discipleship. I've seen this, this place has seen, I've seen hundreds of people throughout the 10 years that we've been here, come in and come out. They came in one way and they left discipled in another way and I could, I could focus on that. But for whatever reason, as I was uh, preparing and Chris said, hey, here's, here's the date, here's your final message, I just couldn't get uh, this idea of, of spiritual warfare or whatever off of, off of my mind. And um, I know that's not the most exciting thing. Don't worry, we're not gonna be doing exorcisms in the hallway after. As far as I know, um, but but I did think this was this was the theme. This was the thing that that I wanted to focus in on. And the first reason why, before I get to the to the real spiritual stuff, is I said it like this: why this why this text? The first reason would be this scripture embodies the 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 um, 
the thing I want to encourage this house to maintain and to grow in. You see it in the text. He says, like, stand firm, like, three or four separate times. Paul's finishing this letter to this church, and his last exhortation is, man, I just really want you to be people that are full of inner strength and that you can stand firm for whatever life throws at you. And maybe you're like me, and these last couple years have been just a whirlwind of feeling like we're not standing firm at all. And so there's something in this text that, that, that helps um, us have a, a firm foundation that I, that I want to point out to and encourage and, and exhort, and, and we'll get there. But the other thing that's present in this text and that has been my experience in being here for the last 10 years is, is that there's this thing called spiritual warfare, and I didn't know, like no one told me when we started, and I was like a, you know, a baby Christian, I fell in love with Jesus, I was just everywhere, just wherever I could, um, sharing the gospel, and it just like, no one told me though when we got out here, we went to all the leadership conferences, we, we uh, you know, we, we studied the, the, the context of the, the area that we'd be moving into, the, the thing that I just was totally unaware of was was the uh, amount of um, attack that, that would, we would experience. And, and I'll speak to what that is in just a second. Just, but it was, it was something that really, really took a toll on me early on because I did not expect it. And, and one of the things, just the reality of the situation is here, because we moved out here and we had spiritual information, and I think we had spiritual gifting. But how many people know the knowledge of spiritual information and even the growth, like the ability to have gifts and to do things that make people go, wow, spiritually, don't nece- necessarily equate to spiritual battle readiness. You may, you could know, like how many people you know, you know a bunch of Christians that know a lot of stuff. You know, a bunch of Christians that, that, um, that can use their gifts and they're like really, really awesome. But then something happens in their life and, and you could tell they weren't ready for it and it knocked them out. Man, philosopher and theologian Mike Tyson once said this, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> Mike knew what he was talking about. Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth, man. And those first two years, I was like, I know the verses, I know the stuff. I'm like, they were invited. I can't believe they were invited. Thank you for the last, for the first couple years of my preaching, you just endured it. Thank you so much. And and I could do all of that, but I um I was not ready. I had the plans, I had put it in place. We were ready to go. We we're doing miss so excited, thought nothing could knock us off our horse. And within those first couple years, it was like boom, boom, boom. And I didn't know how to get up. Has anyone ever been hit before in their life? And you know, you're like, I don't know how to get up from this. And what ends up happening oftentimes when you're not aware of the spiritual battle that exists in your life. And that's what I want to focus on. I'm not going to focus on the spiritual battle out there. We did a series on that, and you should go watch that. Uh, what was the name of that series, Pastor Christopher? Live, no, it wasn't Live No Lies. What was it? What was it? Our, our series, bro. You just did it a couple weeks ago, months ago, about the lies in the culture. What was the name of the series? You don't remember the name of your own series? <laughs> Twisted Truths, my Lord. Friends, this is why it's important to pray for your pastor. <laughs> this is why it's important. Obviously, there's a lot going on in his head right now. I love you. Um, 
And so you get punched in the mouth, man, and I've found in my life when, you, when you're unaware of the spiritual battle, what ends up happening to you with your faith is you end up being disoriented. You end up being disoriented. Rue, you can move to the next slide. You end up um, being discouraged. Usually that first hit, it like disorients you. And then you're trying to pick yourself up off the ground and then you're like trying to put the pieces back together and you're bleeding out and you're like, what do I do? And it just leads to discouragement. And then eventually, why this matters is your discouragement ends up usually leading you to distance yourself from other people that love you and want to, want to speak words of life into you. And, and, and most importantly, I think what ends up happening, what's really at the, the crux of spiritual warfare, if we're not fair, is, is a distance from God. Because when we can't make sense of what's happening in front of us, when we can't make sense of the attack that, that happened to us, we end up feeling a distance from God. Has anyone ever experienced that before? A disorienting attack that discourages you, and then you find yourself in this lonely place like, God, where are you? What happened? What is going on right now? And, and, and I just want it to be said of this church as you guys move forward, and I, and I even thought about this for me and my family as we step into this next season of ministry and the things that we're going to do in the great city, Fremont, California, is, um, is I don't want us and I don't want you guys to be what is commonly known as practice players. You know, like, so in this term in, in, in football, there's like these guys and gals, like, you go to practice and they score all the goals in practice, they hit the ball, and then what happens? Game time turns on and they are nowhere to be found. Anybody not want to be a practice player spiritually? Where you know all the verses, you know all the stuff, you know what to do, but, but, but then life actually hits you and, and you realize it's not as firm as, as you thought it was. Or another way I've heard it said is like BFN is short for big for nothing. Those are those guys that go to the gym and they lift a lot and they're really muscular but they can't do anything athletically. I don't want to be spiritually big for nothing. I don't want to be spiritually big for nothing. I don't want you to be spiritually big for nothing. I don't want the swag. I don't want, I don't want to be able to be the one that's just, that just nails every verse in the prayer meeting and just has the right thing with just the swag but no bag. You got no bag? When it matters, you don't got the bag? I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be you. And St. Augustine says, says this, it's just the reality of the situation that during this earthly pilgrimage of our life cannot be free from temptation. I wish it was, right? I just wish, I wish we didn't. Let me just say that on the outset. <laughs> why do we have to do this? Like, why does there have to be a battle? I don't want a battle. I just want to live. I want to go home. I want to eat with my family. I want to watch football. I don't, I don't want an attack on my mental. I don't want an attack on my emotional health. I don't want an attack on my kids. I don't want to have to worry about them thinking about things that they shouldn't have to think about. But the reality of the situation is, if you live in this world long enough, you know it's broken, and you know that there seems to be this emanating force behind it. During this earthly pilgrimage, our life cannot be free from temptation. For none of us comes to know ourselves except through the experience of temptation. Nor can we be crowned until we have come through victorious, nor be victorious until we have been in battle. And so as much as I don't want to and as much as I've experienced and it's been hard, I know that the reality of the situation moving forward is for the movement.church and the reality is for, for my family that we have to figure out how do we fight back and stand strong? 
How do we fight back and stand strong? How do you embrace an attack? How do you, how do you counter that attack? And by the look on some of your guys' faces, I really need to answer this question. How do we fight back and stand strong? Well, I'm so glad that you asked because my outline is just going to exactly answer that. And I want to just pray for us because this is big and this can be heady. I'm going to try to synthesize it and simplify it and thank God on the outset just so, you know, no one outs me. This, this material has been taken, and, I, and you could write this down if you're taking notes real quick, just some extra material for you as you go home if you want to expand upon your reading on this. A book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. I'm going to quote him in a little bit. There's a book called Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, who's been very, very helpful in me understanding this subject. And then there's another guy I'll refer to later as I, as I quote him. So let's just pray real quick, because this is, we need to pray because this is spiritual, and, and I need God's help. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity to, um, I know they're going to invite me back, but let's just say one last time to, to encourage uh, my church family, whom I love dearly, to understand this, this important topic as we move forward, as we both move forward, next year being our nine-year anniversary. Praise you, Lord, for nine years of your goodness and your faithfulness to us. And also as we move, God, that you would prepare us for whatever battles lie ahead. God, speak to us now. And maybe you, as, you was, as you're sitting there, you would just say, Maybe you got a lot going on in your life. You're like, man, this is already, whoop, this is high. Maybe you would just say, God, speak to me this morning. God, speak to me. Encourage me. Help me to see. Help me to leave here different. God, as we come under your word, we, under, we know that, that it does not return void. And you can use it, God. And so use it in our lives right now. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. The outline, if you're taking notes, um, is know your enemy. Everyone say, know your enemy. Know yourself and know your sword. Know your sword. First, know your enemy. If you're going to fight, if you're going to fight and you're going to be well, I've never been a boxer, but my understanding is is they watch film and they study, you know, the combination so that they can so that they can bounce off of it. I kind of look like I could box a little bit, right? But the enemy, there's three kind of things that I think you see in this text to to know about your enemy. He's tactical, timely, and he tells lies. First, tactical. Let's look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. It says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, this word schemes is actually, there's a Greek word that I don't want to butcher, but it's where we get our root word methods. So in other words, what it's saying, what Paul is saying here is that the devil has methods. He is a crafty individual. His goal, as uh, Paul actually says in another letter, he says, be, uh, in order that Satan might not outwit us, he says, for we are not underware of his schemes. He uses this same word on the next slide right here in uh, Corinthians. And I think one of the first things that we've, that we've got to understand, see, what, in, in our modern day culture, the way that we think about the devil is we think about the devil like this red dude with horns, right? We think about paranoia. We think about exorcisms. We think about this guy who like scares little children. Like 
We, 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 don't, we don't really have, I, I believe, a correct view for what he's actually like. And this first thing that we see is that he's a, he's a very tactical individual. He's got, everyone say, methods. He's got methods. He has, a very, he has a very specific, he's a smart, and we'll get into this in just a second more. So the first thing we see is that he's tactical. He's got methods. The next thing that we see in Ephesians 6, 13 through 15 is this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, the day of evil comes. Now, he's always working. You know, you ever heard the phrase, Satan works overtime? He does. He does. But... He is so tactical that he is also timely in his attacks against you. That, that this, this here means uh, when the day of evil comes, the translation to that means that there's an ebb and flow to his attack. Like any great military, they, they plan an attack this day and this day, and it's all leading up to this culmination where they can finally seize and take control of whatever city or capital or whatever they're trying to do. The enemy, he's very tactical, but he's also very timely, and you've probably experienced this before. Most of the attacks that you would, and maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not a spiritual at all, but you experience like a mental exhaustion or emotional exhaustion, and then like in those times when you're just tired, that's usually when you're tempted most to do something that you ought not do. I love what C.S. Lewis does in Screwtape Letters, and, and Screwtape Letters is this book, it's, it's fiction, okay, don't write me about this, it's fiction, but it's C.S. Lewis. He is, uh, he's the writer of the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, and he writes from the perspective of a, like an uncle demon writing to his nephew demon on how to torment um, a particular person. And, and um, they actually said C.S. Lewis got really depressed after writing this book because imagine putting yourself in the mind of the evil one, like literally, right? And C.S. Lewis writes this, though, about the timeliness of attack. He says, make good use of your patience series of troughs, which means valleys and peaks, and beware that the enemy, and now when he says enemy here, he's talking about God because he's writing as a demon. The enemy relies on troughs more than peaks and capitalizes on troughs, trough periods by tempting him with sensual pleasures, making him content with his moderated religion and directly attacking his faith merely on a phrase. And so you see here that the, that, that what, what I believe C.S. Lewis is calling to the surface is that he uses particular times, and maybe he's saying here it's, it's actually the successes that, that, that we can capitalize on because their enemy uses the valleys to actually mold us. God uses the valleys to mold us, but the enemy's saying, hey, man, maybe we, can, maybe we can use the successes. So he uses very specific time. The last thing, and maybe most importantly, that the enemy does, we see in the last slide of Ephesians. It says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I don't know, what a, I don't know how he came to this terminology or, or how he landed on this, but when you're under attack, it does just feel like there's some flaming arrows at your head, yes or yes. And, and he says, hey, man, there's these flaming arrows. And now, what are these flaming arrows, though? So he's timely, he's tactical. Well, the last thing, I think he tells lies. We see in John, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he is um, he's in a bit of an argument with them, and he uses some harsh language. But he gives us kind of, in a, in a summary sentence, who Satan actually is and what his primary method of attack is. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, 
and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks into his native language, for he is a liar. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you don't believe in me. This here, father of lies, is another way you could say this, is that he is the originator of deception. He is the originator of deception. And the primary way the enemy attacks is that is through lies. He sends lies, flaming darts, to your head at the right time, is oftentimes in the right place to see if he can tempt you. He can't control you, but to see if he can tempt you to do something that you ought not do. And so, the, another way I say it, the, the devil's primary method of attack is deceptive ideas that play on our disordered desires in a planned, determined time. Anybody encouraged? Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, Scott Peck, a psychiatrist who was, a, who was not a believer, speaking of the devil, and then he became a believer, he called the devil a real spirit of unreality, a real spirit of untruthfulness, which was big for Scott because Scott, in the scientific community, it would be taboo to really have good and evil. You're supposed to have hypothesis and comes to these conclusions, but he couldn't help that as he became a Christian to realize there seems to be this pervading evil in the world, and the way that that evil uh, spirit works is by presenting and being a spirit of unreality. By offering people things that go counter to the creator's wisdom, goodness, and truth to offer a different path, a different way of living that goes against the grain of the universe. And I say deceptive ideas that play on disordered desires because we know that we're fallen and broken. So he picks the parts of us that he knows that each of us are very specifically vulnerable to. Which leads me to my next point in my outline. This is why it's so important to know yourself. You cannot do battle with an enemy that knows you better than you know you if you're not trying to get to know you. You have to know about yourself. Jesus says in John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Great verse, great verse, and we'll get to the freedom in a minute. Then you will know the truth and then you will be set free implies that we are all at some level or degree in bondage to lies. If truth will be the thing that sets us free, then what's the thing that's holding us in bondage? Lies. I say it this way. From from the atheist to the most mature saint, we all, everybody say we all. We all at some level are in bondage to lies that have been told to us. Like what? What are these lies? What are you talking about? What are some examples? What does Satan play on? It would be like this. It's like the grown man who was berated by his father and comes to believe I'm only as good as I am successful at my work. It's the teenage girl who comparing herself to a mirage of Instagram comes to believe I'm ugly and unworthy of love. Satan plays on that. It's the pastor who was a high energy child regularly scolded by his parents who now believes everything that I do will fail. It's the middle-aged woman who was raised by an angry person and, and who now feels like the only way I'm supposed to love is to be angry. 
It's the, one, it's the son who watched his parents go through an ugly divorce and believes, if I love, I'll just end up just like them. It's the Christian who experienced spiritual abuse and who thinks all of them are like this. All this is going to be this way. This must be what God is like. It's the, it's the atheist who, who, because all he or she has seen is the misuse of religion, considers God to be dead or evil. I don't know what it is for you. But we all at some level, even to the most mature saint right now, right now, I'm, sure, I'm looking for the most mature saint in the room. I was like, where's Rich Johnstone at? Even Rich Johnstone, even the person that you're like, man, they're so mature. Did you know even them, Satan is working overtime on things that have been baked into their DNA and have been baked into who they are and to be baked by their traumatizing experiences that they've got to battle. They've got to battle these lies that Satan is sending because of their experiences. We all believe lies. And here's the hard thing about this. It just, this is just a word of empathy as we begin to try to pull some of these lies out and apply some truth to it. John Mark Comer says in his book, Live No Lies, facing the lies we have come to believe can be terrifying. The illusions we cling to become part of our identity and with it our security. They make us feel safe even as they imprison us in fear. Can anybody relate to that? Make us feel safe even as, we, even as they imprison us in fear. Ripping them out of our soul can be excruciating. Can be excruciating. And so I just wanna, I just wanna give you grace to say that this is, this is hard stuff. The stuff that we're gonna endeavor to do because this is, this is gonna be a, a sermon that I hope that you take with you and practice but you just gotta know on the outset and many of you already do know that when you try to, like, even if you just go to get some level of counseling, to just share the things, the lies that you have believed and to try to apply reality to it, it's hard. Um, David Foster, who wrote the book Spiritual Disciplines, he says, the truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. The truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. And this is why we use the term spiritual warfare. This is why the term spiritual warfare is fit is fitting. And so the, the enemy, he uses uh, deceptive ideas that play on um, our disordered desires and traumas and things that we've experienced, ways we were raised, and, and he tries to capitalize on that. And, and, and Jesus says that his whole goal is to deceptive ideas that play on disordered desires and ultimately to lead us to destruction. The good news is, the good news is, is that Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The good news is that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The good news is, is that Jesus says, if you know the truth, you can be set free from the lies that hold you in bondage. And so I want to talk to you from this last topic of know your sword. Know your sword. Now, this is so important. Uh, the, I, I, I entitled this, this, this sermon, Keep It On You. You probably saw that. Now, where I'm from... <laughs> The term keep it on you means that you would carry a weapon. Now, this is not a statement for or against the Second Amendment. Okay, so, but if you do have a problem, you can email me at christopher.stice at church. But I do, spiritually speaking, want you to keep it on you. I want you to keep yourself packed with what you need 
to do the war that you need to do. See, some of us, we're just, I love you, we're just a little too soft. We're a little too soft. We, we need to pull the sword out and ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like, for real, though. Because here's why. The enemy's not like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> what does that even mean? Ha, ha. But, you know, it's like a soft, like, and we're just like, ah, uh, no. You know, like, no, the enemy's like, he's coming for your head. That's why the term keep it on you is like, you never know what's about to happen. You got to keep it on you. And for real, when it comes to spiritual warfare, that's why I think Paul says to Timothy, in in season and out of season to be ready. You've got to keep the truth on you. You've got to keep the word of God on you. Know your sword. So what's that even mean, Spence? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 6, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I think there's two things focused here. We're gonna focus on one primarily, but I think in summarizing this text, I think the shield, I like that. So like, he doesn't just keep the sword on him. He's like, keep the shield on you too, so you could, you could block some darts and you can, uh, you know, like this is real battle Paul's talking about. He says, I believe the summary is the shield focuses on trusting that God's promises are good, exposing the nature of the lie, meaning, because uh, he says the shield of faith. So he's like, every time a dart comes at you, this is just extra credit right here. This is just extra lesson for you. Every time, every time, every time a dart comes at you, you have to take on faith in God's promises, the general promise, because the, the, the fundamental lie of the enemy is that God is not good. And so every lie is tied to, is God really good? Should you really obey that? And, and what he's saying is, fundamentally, the shield of faith says, the promise of God, God is good. So, that, so I, I see that for what it is, enemy. But I think the second part, the sword, emphasizes the weapon that kills the lie by replacing it with the presence of a specific true reality. That's why he says the word of God. And I don't think it's just generally, I, it is generally the word of God, but I also think there are specific truths that combat specific lies. Specific truths that combat specific lies. Now, I told you earlier about this guy, or actually I didn't, there's this guy named, I think his name's Evagarius. So he was a monk, thousands, I think a thousand years ago. And this dude, um, saying he, he went to the desert to just live in the desert and to just do battle with the enemy. I mean, he, he read the scripture literally about Jesus going for 40 days. He didn't read the part where he, I guess he came back because he just stayed there. He just stayed there for most of his life and just dealt with the lies of the enemy. And what he did, it's actually a really good book. It's called, I think it's called Talking Back. And he, what he did is he, he literally just spent his time thinking about all these thoughts that came from the enemy and he wrote scriptures that combated the lie. And what I believe that every, every believer ought to do, that in their pack and what they carry, you gotta have your own handbook. Come on, how many people love handbooks? I don't know why I'm looking at AJ. I feel like he loves handbooks. <laughs> Compliance. You need a handbook your own personal handbook because the enemy has his own personal plan for you of the, not your personal truth, like it's your truth, but the truth that for you helps you battle that lie. Are you tracking with me? I'm getting excited right now, okay? So like this first one, let's just walk through some of the main, um, 
the main things. So like the temptation of lust. You may hear, uh, your temptation may, man, you'd be truly happier with another woman or a man and you're married. Maybe the verse for you is Matthew 19, 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Man, boom. No, man, I'm one. No one separate. Uh, You should just watch that, and then that will be the end of it. First of all, we all know that's not true. And, but maybe you just counter with your body is not your own. You were bought with a price. Uh, How about this one? Because he's good, man. And just, okay, so just so you don't judge me. Some of these are mine personally, but some of these were just thoughts that I thought. So whatever, you deal with that. Not Not like my thoughts, but just thoughts I thought you could think. I'm leaving anyways. <laughs> you can still love your spouse, but what you really need in this season is the attention of another. How about this one right here? Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from your foes, keep me as the apple of your eye. That is the center of your attention. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 17, eight. Pack, ah, You know the enemy is just too big in this area. Let those who seek my soul be put to shame and confounded. Let those who devise evil against me be turned back and put to shame. See, some of you got to start talking, talking. The psalmist, if you ever read the psalms, it's not like, oh, Lord, if you get a chance, you know, bless. So let those who come after me be put to shame. God, I'm feeling this temptation of lust right now. Let this evil one be put to shame. Let the lie that he is sending to me, shall it not prosper? I just say right now, I believe that you can deliver me from this. Y'all, we're about to get active. The temptation of lust. You better, you're better off keeping this a secret for its shame is great. Let's say you fall. Maybe the, maybe the counter to that is confess your sins one to another so that you may live whole and healed. There's a truth to counter every lie. That's the temptation of lust. Maybe though for you this isn't your area, maybe it's the temptation of pride. You should make your name great. You should be great. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. I would like to be great, you know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm pretty great. Let's, let's go. You should make your name great. No, Psalm 89. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Or Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all seek or ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Maybe for you it's, You should manipulate your way and promote yourself to power if they won't give it to you. You deserve it. You ever feel like that one? Like, man, no one sees me at my job, and they don't see me in this church. They don't, you know, like, I just feel like I've been doing this for so many years. I should be be up here, and and I'm still down here. And let me just say, too, contextually, you should go get yours. But you know what I'm trying to say right here. You should manipulate it. You You should try to go get it. Man, one of my favorite verses for that is, Um, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among his great men for it is better to be told, come up here than to be put in a lower place. You know humility sucks, right? You ever get that one from the enemy? Like someone, like brother or sister comes like, you know what the answer in this situation is with your friend or your coworker? You just need to be humble right now. You don't want to be humble right now. The enemy's like, yeah, why be humble right now? They don't deserve your humility. Are you kidding me? 
I love 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. This is my handbook right here. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. But what's he do? He shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that at the proper time, he might lift you up. I love that. Lust, pride, and maybe this last one right here, the temptation of fear. This is the one in this last season for me as we kind of embark upon something new that's that's been the hardest for me. Maybe for the last, actually, couple years. Here you might get the thought, you're alone in your efforts to serve God. The verse I've been proclaiming over my life is, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I got this one too, like, you're gonna fail like you did before, or your past is just too messy. Paul says in Philippians, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what was left behind, straining toward what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I know it's messy. I know I messed up. I know it's messy. I know you messed up. I know you shouldn't be able to get up again. I know you messed up your marriage. I know you messed up in your ministry. I know that you said something that you weren't supposed to. And what the enemy does is he says, you can't move forward. Your past is too messy. You're not worth it. And God says, get up. Though a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets up again. And Paul had a heck of a past that he had to pick himself up from. And if you're honest with yourself and you truly know yourself, you know you got a past that you got to pick yourself up from. And Paul says, press on. Maybe the traumatizing experience of this life, one of the, one of the great lies of my life. You know, if you, like for me, if I feel like if I go back in after different wounds and things like that, you know something's going to happen that crushes you. You ever barely make it out of a situation and you're like, and you got out. But now, the enemy was happy to let you get out, but now the pervading lie in your life is don't go back to do something good again because what's gonna come next is greater and you won't be able to withstand it. Am I talking to anybody right now? Like, has anyone ever experienced just, you're just saying, I don't wanna build the business. I don't wanna start the company. I don't wanna do the ministry. I don't wanna join the team. I don't wanna do the thing because the pervading thought is what happened last time almost crushed me. I barely made it out by the grace of God. But what I won't do is go back again. It hurts. It's hard. I just want to be honest with you. I've been at moments in the ministry of this church where I've been saying to myself in this last season, I've been discouraged. It's been messy. It's been hard where I'm like, I don't know if I want to go again. Getting up, getting up is hard, especially after you've been laid out on the floor. To that, I've, this verse has been super helpful to me. Psalm 112, 6 through 8, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered. I love this one. I don't know how it's possible, but I'm clinging to it. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. To that end, your next season of ministry will be miserable. 
For you, for me, I love this verse in combat to that. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye know it? Come on, King James Version. I will even make a way in the wilderness and end in the rivers of the desert. You can't see it right now. That's what I love about that verse is he's speaking life. How, how is there about to be rivers in the desert? How is he about to make a way in the wilderness? That's what God does. The enemy says, you can't see it. God says, I see it. Step into it and I'll do something about it. But you got to have that truth to know that God can put rivers in a desert. That God can close the depth, the, 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 uh, the gap, that God, that God can save the lost family member. That God can deliver you from the thing that's held you in bondage for so long. That God can, can rescue you from your insecurity. That God can make you powerful in ministry again, even though ministry has crushed you. That God can make you love again, even though she didn't love you or he didn't love you. That by his grace and his overwhelming love, he can cause you to love again. Do you know how many people in this world are living in cycles of just that over and over again reality, never coming out of that? May the church of Jesus Christ be people say, it is true of me, but it won't be because I got my handbook. I have my handbook. So church family, my, my last encouragement to you, as I said, man, keep it on you. Keep it on you. And I just, in my wrestle, there's been times where I just want to run away. I often think about Peter's line to Jesus when all the disciples were dispersed. They're like, Jesus was saying some crazy stuff about eating his flesh and blood. And they're like, what are, you, what are you talking about, Jesus? And a bunch of them left. And Peter said, to whom else should I go? Is there, I don't know about you, for me, the only way I found myself out of these cycles, pre-Jesus, after Jesus, is to go back to the word of God and create these handbooks for myself. It's not the amount of information you know. It's being able to supply the specific scripture that applies to the reality of the enemy that he's fighting you with. That's why these questions as we go are so important. I want you to do this later today. I want you to find out, like, what's the feeling? Like, what's, when you're under an attack, what's the feeling? Is it anxiousness? Is it worry? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it confusion? What's the, what's the feeling? And then ask yourself the question, well, what's the lie? This, this is handbook creation 101. What's the lie? What's the lie that is causing this feeling? And then what's the truth? What's the truth that combats this for you? And when I come back, when Pastor Chris invites me to preach in three months, I want everyone's handbooks turned in on my desk. It's the last thing I wanted to leave you with, church family, is... The word of God is still true. It is still living. It is still active. It is faithful. It, it will supply you for everything you need in every season. In a culture, in a world that has tried to demean and devalue and draw your attention away from it, God is lifting it up and say, whoever will eat this, whoever will put this in their spirit, whoever will meditate on this, whoever will go to battle with this word right here, they will be victorious. 
And I just believe for the next season of ministry for this life, because I know that's Pastor Christopher, Pastor AJ, Pastor Owen, Brooke, that it's all, it all comes from the word. So I know what's going to happen is more freedom and more fruit as we leave. I love you, church family. And I'm looking forward to hopefully hanging out with you guys tonight. If you want to come by, there's a party for us. If you want to come by the ministry center at six o'clock, well, not five o'clock, I lied. But it's hard to articulate um, I'm so sorry for having you play for so long. Uh, what this place means to me and my family. This is where we put together our book. This is where we got, this is where we sharpened our sword. This is where we matured in our faith. We stumbled, you guys picked us up. We wilded out, you guys corrected us. We needed encouragement, you've encouraged us. Uh, Lene and I and our family would not be who we are if it wasn't for you guys applying the word of God to our lives and helping us grow and mature. And um, it's really bittersweet. Because we've seen so much of God's movement in our lives here. And it's not just spiritual language. It's not just whatever. But we will never be the same because of the movement church. We will never be the same because of this place for the last 10 years of our lives. And so... I love you. Thank you for allowing me to, because I know I'm not going to see some of you later, to, to, to wild out and go ADHD all over the stage on you and just do everything that, you know, you've accepted us for our personalities and our course and my family. And um, I love you, church family. I love you. Let's worship God, though, because he's worthy, yes or yes. Let's worship God. There's, there's, there's going to be uh, two songs and there's truths in these songs. Maybe these songs will have exactly the truth that you need and you need to cling into. And worship doesn't just become something you listen to. It's something you declare over your life as you, as you engage in this battle. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for the way that you moved in our lives this morning. I believe that there's ways you've moved in people's lives who are listening and now, God, um, may we not rush out of here, but may we do work with you during these songs to um, take truths that we need. Maybe the, those verses are already, God, popping in people's heads. Maybe there's people in this room who, like, I don't have any verses because I don't know any verses. God, would you give them the courage to talk to somebody who does and, and to say, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's going on. What do I need to believe? What's the truth I need to declare over my life, God? Many of times we need our friends and family and community to do that for us. Whatever it is, God, would you speak to your people through your word and through your spirit now as we worship. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You could stand.